Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday, it's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Full Go presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. And right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, or SGPs as the kids like to call them, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21+. plus. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. Chicago everywhere. Check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. He is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. Talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. This is this episode 155, 155. of The Full Go Podcast. Oh, yeah. man. Welcome into episode 155 of The Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff and a cast of thousands. Really, it's just three of us. Shout out to the active Jesse Lopez, who is back on the scene and a place to be. And our guy, Tony Gill, who jump in here with us shortly. Bears win. Bears win 23 to 20. The Bears now are two and one in the NFC North and the NFL as a whole. You, you get a chance to go up against the Houston Texan team coached by Lovey Smith, who, uh, let's face it, they have been on the clock since the Deshaun Watson scandal first jumped off. They remain on the clock throughout last year. They jumped into this year on the clock. This is a team that is searching not only for a quarterback, but just searching for talent overall and we had a chance to talk to Jonathan Alexander last pod and he told us who to look for right Jalen Petrie was one of the names he mentioned and Jalen Petrie went out there and had what's my man from the San Francisco 49ers the safety again I, I, I keep forgetting his man's name Hafunga, he gets the Hafunga week one award of this guy almost wrecked the game for you and you had no idea who he was before the game award. That's what it is. He almost wrecked the game. Jalen Petrie had what? Two interceptions. He had a sack. He defensed two passes. I believe he has six, seven tackles, something like that. He was all over the place. The kid played his ass off. Was looking forward to watching Derek Stingley play a little bit and didn't get a chance to because guess, guess what? The wide receivers in the Bears offense aren't a part of the Bears offense. And I know 40 carries for 281 some odd yards. I think it was 281, if I'm not mistaken. I'll check the box score right now as I'm 
Looking at, yeah, 40 carries for 281 yards, an outstanding day on the ground. Khalil Herbert went crazy, 20 carries for 157 yards. Equinemius St. Brown got in there for a couple of jet sweeps, one which was a big play. The other one, not so much. They had diagnosed it and played it well in the second half, but two carries for 43 yards for him. Treston Ebner got in there for seven carries and 23 yards, all because David Montgomery went out very early on in this one. He only had three carries for 11 yards, but had a knee-slash-ankle injury that did not look good. Like, it looked really, really, really bad. He got bent up on, rolled back, and his whole body went backwards, and knee's not supposed to go that way. The ankle's not supposed to stay planted the way it was, but hopefully from the post-game comments that we got from Matt Eberflus and also Justin Fields, who actually spoke on it with us, said he's in good spirits, whatever that means, and Matt Eberflus mentioned that he was day-to-day. But if you want to get back to old 80s football, be my guest. If this is what you think is going to win in this league, be my guest. I don't think it's going to win. And at some point, you're going to have to find out what this passing game and this quarterback is. And it's such a complicated issue when you're a Bears fan and, and an observer of this Bears organization because all you're left asking yourself after a game like this is, and and this is this is me saying this, and you guys know how much of a fan I am or have been of Justin Fields, but the question is, is he good or not? Then that'll be the question that we continue to ask week to week. Is he good? And it's going to trend to, if he has games like this, is he bad? This was a game for a quarterback that if you would have told me that this was his first start in the NFL, I would have believed you. But if you're telling me that this is his 13th start or 14th start in the NFL, something like that, I believe he's 3-9 and nine as a starter. So if this is his 13th or 14th start in the league, there's been a bit of regression that I am not comfortable with. And when we talk about 28 pass attempts coming into this game for the entire season, the play calling and the head coaching and the coaching period is not comfortable with this man having the ball in his hands. Now, whether that be the offensive line, because he's pressured on 42% of his dropbacks coming into this game, guess what? That's a Ryan Poles issue, right? That's a Matt Eberflus issue. That's an, that's an offensive line coach issue. Do you not have the raw materials in front of him? We, we can all agree that you don't. Well, guess what? You got to tailor the game plan to, to making sure that Justin Fields has clean pockets or launch angles that have been moved outside of that pocket. If you don't have that, the, the, the issues that I'm having is, if you know you have protection issues, I'm seeing a lot of three by ones, right? I'm seeing a lot of I'm seeing a lot of empty sets. I'm seeing a lot of third and long situations where there is nobody back there as a safety valve. And when there is somebody back there as a safety valve, it's a third and long that you're handing off a draw play on pretty much a give up attempt. There was a third and six in this football game at the it was it second quarter, sometime in the second quarter, halfway through the second quarter, a third and six on your 14 yard line. I know you're in minus territory. But they run a draw play. And if that's not telling the defense, your team, and your quarterback that you don't trust his decision-making, his timing, or the fact that you can block this play, then what you're doing is giving the game to the defense wholly and saying you have to win for us. And that's what happened today. I mean, the defense did not play well in the first half. They, as they say, bowled their neck in the second half. And after Justin Fields' two interceptions, one, you know, I, I can't blame on him, even though you should probably check it down or take the sack. The other one, just absolutely ridiculous decision-making, absolutely ridiculous footwork. Um, he played awfully today, and I'm glad that he said so in the post-game press conference. But these things have to be shored up. 
Because if we're going to go, this is as healthy as this Bears team is going to be all year long. The injuries are going to start to mount. And when the injuries start to mount on that offensive line, it ain't going to look no better. So this whole guard rotation that we've been talking about here for the last week or so with Lucas Patrick sometimes and Tevin Jenkins other times, guess what? As soon as Lucas Patrick's hands heals up, we need to throw him as center. Because Sam Mustafer is not playing well or whatever the chemistry is that under center where you can't get the center to quarterback exchange down between Justin Fields and Sam Mustafer, something needs to happen. Something needs like, like there are too many, too many glaring issues for this only to be on Justin Fields. But I'm sorry, I am putting this right squarely at the feet of the of number one. If if I commend him for making some of these um extensive, uh, I'm sorry, extending the play outside the pocket and 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 making sure that a, a play that pretty much was shot to hell from the snap, whether it be offensive line protections or you not being able to get guys open, he's extended those plays and made big plays of them. Well, guess what? The plays that he needs to make sometimes that are in the pocket when there is a – and this is the other thing too. Just like there is no um, – just like college open is different from professional open when we talk about receivers – a clean pocket in college football is a lot different than a clean pocket in the NFL. You only got so much time, and we keep saying these same things over and over and over again. These Some of these sacks are on Justin Fields. Some of these pressures are on Justin Fields. Get rid of the fucking ball, man. Like, they don't want you. They want the football. Get rid of the ball. And if you have to have 10, 12 checkdowns in a game, those are 10, 12 completions that we will look back in this game and say, oh, must have been nobody open in the wide receiver department. Must have been nobody open up the scene when it comes to Cole Komet or, 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 or Kyle Griffin or James O'Shaughnessy. Like, whoever the hell is out there running the tight end must not be open if you take these checkdowns, if you take what the, off, uh, what the defense is giving you. And if they're not there, then guess what? You punt and you live to fight another day. But these interceptions, throwing over the middle of the field, throwing late, his footwork was horrific on that first one. And on the second one, I mean, he didn't have much of a pocket to step into, but you got to let go of the ball. You got to figure out where you can't go with the ball and then go where you have to go with the football. And and this this Darnell Mooney uh, emergence that we were supposed to see this year, this man had six targets today, and it seemed like you threw the ball to him 20 times. Okay? Darnell Mooney, for whatever reason, isn't a viable part of this offense. The tight end that you drafted in the second round, out of Notre Dame, got his first catch in the second half, I believe, of this game. We're three games into the season now, and your starting tight end got his first catch and his second catch, actually, in the second half of that game. So the Bears' offense looked poor. If this isn't Davis Mills, and the Houston Texans, the Bears are sitting here at one and two. It's as simple as that. But you got you play who's on your schedule, you beat who's on your schedule. Uh, that Texas defense has some real issues. But at the same time, Jerry Hughes is running around out there looking like Lawrence Taylor. Like, he was attacking the offensive tackles. Braxton Jones had himself another bad game in my estimation. Larry Borum, really good on the run blocking side of things, had himself an average pass blocking game. Like if we're really, and this is my problem. This is my problem, especially with the third and sixth play. There are 10 other positions out there that you have to be evaluating right now. And if Ryan Poles and whatever, and Matt Eberflus, I'm not saying they don't believe in the dude, but from my, from what I'm gathering, if the, if the, if the answer is they don't believe in the dude, well, you got to start to get something moving here. I'm not saying put in Trevor Simeon, but all I'm saying is you got to evaluate the other positions as well. And, and if your evaluation is going into the toilet because it's all on the quarterback, then make a change. 
if it ain't all on the quarterback, then make sure that you supplement whatever the inefficiencies or the, the inadequacies of this offense are to make sure that you're evaluating everybody, including number one. The most important person in that building right now is Justin Fields. And the, and the lack of confidence that I see him out there playing with is not the guy that we saw at Georgia. It's not the guy we saw at Ohio State. But guess what? This is his new lot in life. And for all the people out there who, who got mad at me when I tweeted out that, hey, you got to figure something out because you got to evaluate everybody else, well, this is what it is. If this is how you, you're choosing to win football games or you have to win football, like, that's the other thing to me. This, this is the way you got to win these games. You got to run the football. I understand. But how long is that going to be the, the winning formula? How long are you going to mess around and be able to run 40 times for 280 yards against a, a Lovey Smith coach defense that ain't tackling anybody? That's my question. You got to win your individual matchups. I see, I see very few people winning individual matchups out there on the offensive side of the football. And this isn't going to be a week-to-week referendum on Justin Fields. It's a snap-to-snap referendum at this point. So I understand the young man has all the confidence in the world. Uh, he approaches the podium the way, and you could tell. You could tell he got coached up. That PR department was not about to take the hit that they took last week with, with Justin Fields. He went up there admitting to everything besides the Kennedy assassination today in that, in that post-game press conference. Like that, that man was out there like, I apologize for the recession. I apologize for gas prices spiking the way they did. Shout out to Joe Biden for bringing them back down. Like he, he pretty much apologized for everything. You could tell it was from gritted is between gritted teeth right there because he understands what it is. He's getting his block knocked off back there. He, this is the, you know what this is? This is the beginning of a career where eight, nine years from now, he ends up in LeBron James's barbershop where ain't nobody getting haircuts talking about the shitty offensive line he played behind in Chicago. That's exactly what this is. That's what we're watching right now. When, when he is, is messing around, running around for, you know, for, for Jesse Lopez's San Francisco 49ers in seven years, you know, going to the Pro Bowl and having a blast, he's going to be around, sitting around with some has-been, you know, movie star, uh, you know, a couple of LeBron's homies and, and a barber that ain't oh, turned his clippers on in three fucking seasons saying that, hey, man, that offensive line and game plan was ass when I was in Chicago. <laughs> have, another, have another drink of wine out this massive goblet. You know what I mean? Like, that's where we, that's where we headed with this thing. Because I believe in them, but I don't know what I should or shouldn't believe in right now. The evaluation part, this team ain't going to win a bunch of games. So, for everybody out here sitting, sitting around like, yeah, that's the way you win a game. You got out of that game. Let me tell y'all something right now. If you line up with Khalil Herbert <laughs> and, and Tristan Ebner and say, hey, NFL, 40 times, <laughs> these two going to get the ball. Come at us with your best shot. You're going to get your ass ran off the field. Because like I said, this is as healthy as you're going to be all year. And next, next week, that's as, that's as healthy as you're going to be all year. And the week after that, these, this is a war of attrition. <laughs> and, and if you can't find out what your starting five is, your rotation is at the offensive line position, you have no idea who's in and out at the wide receiver position or who can actually play at the wide receiver position, you know, right now for me, Cole Komet is Notre Dame fighting Irish for Adam Shaheen. Like, you getting your first catches three games into the season? This is a win, and I'm feeling like this. So for all the Justin Fields fans, I'm right there with you. I'm still with you. I'm just at the back of the bus like, hey, so uh, 
y'all think he good or, you know, because before it was like, yeah, Pittsburgh game, kiss my ass. You know what I mean? Yeah. San Francisco 49 is broken play to Dante Pettis. Take that. And then it was like, yeah, Green Bay thing. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and then the first half of this game was like, oh, what's, you know what I'm trying to figure out? Because I'm the kid who got the video game and opened and bust that bitch open immediately. To hell with these instructions. This is just something for me to open up my annihilators and throw them on. I have no idea why you brought the game with instructions, why you delivered it to me with instructions. I am here to play the game. I jump into the game immediately on expert. Do you know how many video games I didn't get past the first half an hour of opening up because I played the game on expert, not knowing what the fuck was going on in the game? I'm sitting here watching Bears football right now wondering, is the game on expert or is the player on beginner? Now, all my video game heads out there, y'all know, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You didn't seen an old man jump into a video game that he shouldn't jump into. You're like, oh, Pop's about to get his ass whooped. Like, I hate to see his ego go down like this. Shout out to my dad. You know, Nintendo Wii was in our crib for like a week and a half. He played tennis, got his ass whooped, and then he took it to a, a, his friends down the street and said, hey, take this Nintendo Wii out of my house. Like, that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. <laughs> is it Justin Fields or, or is it everything else around him? And that's why this is the team game that everybody loves to bet on, everybody loves to watch, because these are the complicated questions that we probably will never have the answers to until it's too late. You either got to figure out if he's good or if you're nursing along a player that you don't believe in and know isn't good. Because I don't know what I don't know how anybody feels right now. You can't put the ball in this man's hands 17 times a game, have him hurried on 10 of those dropbacks, sacked on, what, five of them? And then expect me to be like, well, you know, it's all him. But at the same time, I can't look at Cole Komet running scot-free and see you throwing in the team meetings because you're trying to force the ball to Darnell Mooney. And don't think for one second that this kid ain't smart enough to, to relay to you in that post-game press conference that Hey, see what happens when I force it to people, right? Go back and listen to that tape. I like I, I'm I'm hip to game and I'm hip to shade and I'm hip to passive aggression. Go back and listen to that tape. When he was asked about the the interception that was thrown, he made it a point to say, "Hey, y'all, you know I messed up. This is what happens when I force the ball to people." So if he was about to be checked down, Tony, knock yourself out, Justin. We'll figure out what the what the real water level is, right? Water always finds its level. That's why I tell people in life, business, personal relationships, anything, be yourself. Because at some point, we're going to figure out what don't work here. That's all Bears fans got right now. They got a two-on-one football team headed to New York trying to figure out what the hell they got. But in the long run, in the long run, at some point, you're going to have to mess around and play NFL football with this quarterback. You're going to have to mess around and say, you know what? We down 20 to 7. It's the third quarter. That running shit is out. We, we have abandoned that. We've given you the football. If they can't block it, we will, we'll extend the line of scrimmage, throw a couple of double tights out there. I do like that they learn from their mistakes, though, by the way. You saw on the goal line, there wasn't no bullshit three-by-ones and, and, and an empty set or, or a single back or any of that other goofy shit that you try to run around and, and play around with in Madden. No, they extended line, extra offensive linemen out there, two tight ends. We got a fullback 
and we about to hand this thing off and figure out who got the best men on the field. Simple as that. Those are evaluation plays. As simple and as basic as they may seem, those are evaluation plays, just like the interceptions are evaluation plays. And shout out to 58, by the way. There's a whole bunch of people who love to talk about not paying people in this city that couldn't wait to get their teeth into that Green Bay game. Yeah, he played poorly. He came out here today and balled. And if you want to say it's against the Texans, well, guess what? He got his ass beat against the 49ers. He got his ass beat against the, the Packers. The next one's up was the Texans, and he played well. 16 tackles, uh, even though a few of them joints was Ray Lewis tackles, you know, <laughs> where it's like, all right, Roquan touched somebody, so that's a tackle. Eight, nine, ten yards down the field, that's a tackle. But the interception, Angelo Blackson with the tip. Roquan Smith makes the play. If you look back on the play, too, I believe it was Nicholas Morrow who was trying to bark out what the hell was really going on on the defense. And the only person he couldn't, because I rewound it several times, the only person he couldn't get the attention of was his Will linebacker in that situation, Roquan Smith. And that's the guy that ends up making the play being around the football. So, you know, Bears fans, we're used to this, right? Uh, 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 you know, a weird-ass three hours where defense makes a couple plays for you, special teams comes up big, and your offense sputters along to get a couple of touchdowns on the ground. Like, I'm tired of living this kind of life. I don't know about y'all, you know? I, I want my Bears freedom. And, and, and all I keep watching is is a quarterback who either gets shackled or when he's not shackled, he runs around and acts a damn fool. Like, I'm sorry, the footwork and and not stepping in the throws, you trusting your arm on this level can be done by three people in the NFL. Three. Okay? Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> Pat Mahomes, and Josh Allen. And Aaron Rodgers getting closer and closer. Every you, you see how you take care of that football? And then the playoffs roll around where you got to throw it in them some tight pockets. And all of a sudden, those touchdown to interception ratio numbers change a little bit. There's only a few guys who could trust their arm as much as Justin Fields wants to in these moments. You know, win it beginner, right? Win it intermediate. And then when the video game gets to expert, that's when you ball. All right, to make sense of whatever we saw in Bears, Texans, we got Lawrence Holmes. That's right. Midday show host here in Chicago at 670 The Score, columnist of Chicago Sun-Times, and now graphic novel author. We'll talk about all that next with Lawrence Holmes right here on the Full Go Podcast. Bears talk with Jason Goff on the Full Go. That kick is good! Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. All right, Lawrence, I watch your post-game wrap-up on your Twitter feed. You always make me feel a lot more calm and a lot, I gather myself, you know, because I'll be getting ready to jump out of several windows after some of these Bears games. But I calmed myself down, got myself together. Looking forward to this visit with you. Um, I, I know the easy question is, yo, what have we learned about the Chicago Bears? But... Problems that I am having seem like they are going to be reoccurring throughout this season. And it is about number one, this entire thing, this entire city, this entire sports landscape. If number one is bad, we throw him in the bin with the rest of them. If he's decent, you got yourself another bag of problems. But if he's good, then all this is worth it. How are we going to find out when and if he is good? 
I'm pretty patient when it comes to quarterback stuff. And I'm trying to keep in mind, Jay, everything that surrounds Justin Fields, everything that we need to put into the equation. And I think that we learned that through the, well, I learned it through the Kyle Orton years and the Rex Grossman years on the beat. But I think as a collective, we learned that with Mitchell Trubisky, where you go, okay, let's make sure that we are giving every benefit of the doubt that we can to the player. And then if we've exhausted every benefit of the doubt, then you go, all right, it might just be that the player is the problem. I'm not there yet. Yeah, neither am I. But I'll tell you what's interesting. I've been saying for since last season that what I want for Justin Fields is the same developmental curve as Jalen Hurts. And so people jump down my throat. Oh my God, he's way better than Hurts. He's going to be... And I'm like, I'm, I'm not saying that. If I had to choose, if I was just choosing them on raw materials, I would choose Justin Fields. And I think that he might have a higher ceiling. But what I loved about what I saw from Jalen Hurts was it was bumpy when, when he first got the opportunity in Philadelphia. And he clearly took to the coaching they got him better players. Mm-hmm. They surrounded him with, with players that could make plays. But he also got better. And even in last season, because people were like, oh, 18 touchdowns and 10 interceptions, that's not... You would kill for Justin yes, Fields to have 18 touchdowns and 10 interceptions and then another 9 or 10 touchdowns with his feet. you kill for that. So, so now that the Jalen Hurts is playing at now, at least through the first three weeks, at MVP level, people are like, hey, this this uh, this Jalen Hurts guy, like, this guy's pretty good. I wish that we could get our quarterback. Exactly. I will tell you, though, Jay, when I was watching him in this game, there are some alarm bells that are starting to go off for me. And the, the alarm bells for me are the, the fundamental stuff that he's not doing in clean pockets. Like, right, forget right. about Forget about, you know, a guy that's on the move. And there's some issues there with some of his footwork too, but forget about that. I give you actual protection where all you need to do is step into the ball and deliver it. And we're seeing his feet are flying in a lot of different directions. He's not throwing from a solid base to, to use the scouting term. I, I want him to step into throws and drive them down the field. Because he's clearly got the arm talent, like that—that is—that is ever present. You can yeah. see, but he's not—he's not maximizing all of the things that can make him good at this point, because his fundamentals seem to be out of whack. Watching him last year, I didn't feel that they were so far gone that that was going to be a problem coming into this year. I was expecting there to be a jump from the stuff that we saw, and I thought. Honestly, like I, I'll go back and look at the film after we're done talking. I think he did a better job delivering the ball last year than he's done so far this year. And that scares me. I, I don't know what he's been told. I know that they did a little bit with the quick, like zero route passes where they wanted to change where instead of having his feet be even, they wanted him to have, I believe, his left foot back so he could just turn and fire. And I saw one of those today. And his right foot was back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, <laughs> a lot of it just kind of, it, it, it messed with me a little bit. And then the off-platform throws, 
that you're seeing. You and I have both been around guys in, in our own lives when it comes to playing sports where they've always been the, the superior athlete to everyone who's on the field, everyone who's on the court, glad everyone you're mentioning who's this. on the ice, right? Like we've all seen that guy and it's apparent when you see that person. I feel like Justin has kind of always been that dude and now he's trying stuff that he's gotten away with because he was that dude and he's finding out that he's going up against 11 dudes that were also that dude and it's not going well for him. The stuff that he was doing in, in this game where you go, wow, like that is a terrible throw. Like not, not just you shouldn't have thrown that. Like how did you think that was going to work with the right. way that, that your body was, was facing? So I, I think there's a lot that needs to be fixed. And I wonder if it is going to be a week to week thing, but I'm, I'm a little shocked that the guy that I saw delivering the ball last year is turned into the guy that we see right now. I'm also hoping, and you know, I'm nobody's psychologist or, um, you know, looking behind the scenes. I'm also hoping that the amount of confidence that he does have and that he has come into this league with doesn't prohibit him from taking the criticism for what it's worth too. Um, sometimes you get guys who, and I'm not speaking to Justin Fields now, we're talking about larger pictures. Sometimes you get guys who feel that the confidence um, is their armor so that none of the criticism gets through that armor. Right. And I, I you know, just by the way that we're seeing some of the same bad decisions made, you know, the, the throwing into too high safety coverage where, you know, you've got another safety who's a, a responsible for half of the field that is not taking his eyes off the backfield, understanding that at some point somebody's going to run a route into me. And I've already got, I've already got help underneath. Like these are the things that when, when you come from whatever offenses he's come from collegiately, or, you know, you're saying Ryan Day coached it this way or they coached it this way at Georgia. This is just regular football stuff now. This ain't even about what you're seeing or I got five, five stars in that wide receiver room. Yes. I got a left tackle on the right. This is just football. Like, we, we're playing in the backyard. I know if I got one guy over there and it's cloud coverage, I better be damn sure that this ball can get there. So if it's you overestimating your arm strength, if it's the the confidence and believing that you can go up or you got a guy go up and make a play, you you have to understand when those shots can be taken. And 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 the the offense see this is the part that I wanted to dive into with you. The beginning of this season when Ryan Poles says this is the team and you go out there with your 53. Um I I got into a little trouble last week when I tweeted about Tua and the Dolphins' weapons. And all the Bears fans came out, well, with what? What were they going to get these, these weapons with? With what draft picks? And I'm like, hey, hold on now. You're telling me that this is the offensive line guy, right? You're telling me that Luke Getze is the, 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 the new and improved future head coach in the making. So you got you to gotta find some guys, maybe in the fifth round, fourth round. Maybe you got to find some guys. Like, you've got a fifth round to start in their left tackle, Right. You know, you've got, you've, you had mad wide receiver um, options. that One were on at right board. tackle, too. Yeah, 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 exactly, at right tackle. So what you're telling me is that these are the people who have found the right players and that he has to play above it. So if he can't play above it, 
what is the job now of Ryan Poles and more importantly, Luke Getze to make sure that they are properly evaluating the tape that this kid is putting out there? Because I don't know how you can have a proper evaluation, one, with the limited amount of throw. What is he up to 45 now in the season? So he's got 45 throws on the season. He's been pressured on 40-some-odd percent of them. You've got a 2-on-1 record, so you feel good about that. How do you not lock yourself into this is the way that we're going to win football games this season at the detriment of the development of the quarterback as well? This is the question, Jay. I think this is the, the most germane question to the rest of the Bears' season is how do they view it? I think fans are, it's funny, like inside of my mentions today, like I brought this up and it's funny, like Bears fans kind of are with, they're with you. They're like this, I mean, they won, but it, it doesn't feel good. Like it, it feels kind of icky that, that they were winning the game while you're watching a quarterback that is clearly struggling on a lot of different levels. So the, the, the coaching staff in the front office have to figure out what is, what is it that they value? Now, Matt Eberflus probably values winning. Like, he wants to come in and establish from week to week. And look, look everyone's getting paid, and you're trying to put together a game plan mm-hmm. for, for the week. I'm not saying that you sacrifice winning necessarily for Justin Fields, but I do wonder, are you getting him prepared? The thing that scares me, Jay, is you may make a false evaluation because you don't know. Because you're saying, all right, well, we'll have to pare everything down and we are running the ball well, so we'll just keep running the ball well because it keeps games close. And this is how Matt Eberflus, like you saw a mirror image of the two coaches today. Oh, that, yeah. That they're doing the same <laughs> damn thing. And it's, 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 it reminds me so much of the years that I spent covering the Bears when I have Matt Eberflus. Like, this is what you're doing. But, but will you get to the end of this season and go, Fields isn't it? And we know that because we were able to stay in games and he wasn't able to win us games. And then you decide to move on from him in, in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And you may have, may have, you may end up spending capital to get another player. You may end up uh, taking a, a, your first round pick and turning it into Bryce Young or whomever. whoever. Right, right, right. And instead of fixing some of the other needs that might give you what you need with Justin Fields. So I'm, I'm terrified of that, that the winning will cloud the judgment and then the evaluation of Justin Fields might suffer from it. Defensively, Allen Williams and his crew, uh, this was a game that I thought they were going to get bulldozed, similar to how the Bears bulldozed them because the running game was going early on. And Davis Mills, I mean, you know, for a second-year dude, he didn't, he didn't look he's okay. Yeah, he's, he's all right. That, that's what, what, what is also disappointing. Like, and it happened in the second half of the season last year with Davis Mills. Are you like, you know what? This guy's not horseshit. Like, right. he's all right. <laughs> and he made some throws today. He looks more, if we're just doing the eye test, he looks more calm oh, yeah. than Justin does. And he, he, he knows where his feet are, and he made some plays throughout that. I don't think that that guy has star potential, yeah. but he's the type of dude that he can be on the Chase Daniel program. He can be a <laughs> Hall of Famer at the bank just being a backup and running people's system. 
So that was also a little bit concerning. But I love seeing Roquan. I knew that it would take a couple of games for him to get it at, at, at Will Linebacker. And there's still going to be some hiccups for him. Mm-hmm. But making that switch from, from Mike to Will and going to a cover two defense where the Will Linebacker has a chance to be a star instead of the guy that's setting everything up. And I, I think that Roquan showed what he could be in this system in this game. 16 tackles, two tackles for loss, a, a money interception off of the tip that ends up giving you an opportunity to win the game. I think that he's an electric player. I was, I was upset with the way that things went in the negotiation, but there's also part of me that's like, fam, Jay, I talked to people in the league about having an agent for Roquan. I was told by two really smart people that I trust that there are agents in the NFL that would have done Roquan's deal for less than 1%. Mm. Because, and the cap is 3% mm-hmm. in the NFL. So even at 3%, it's a bargain, right? right. right. At yeah. less than 1% of what you're hoping is close to $100 million, it would have been worth it to not put up with the headache of all of it. And maybe you ended up getting a deal done right. because of it. Instead of the public show that, that right. eventually led to you playing on your rookie deal still. Right. I hope that he, he wins his bet on himself. I think he's a really good player. And I think this, this defense, he's not necessarily like the prototype of what you would think this is, but I think he's got enough that he can make it work. He's got enough dog in him that he can make it work at the Will linebacker spot. The rookie report, uh, Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker. You're starting, starting a couple of young boys in that secondary. They, they took their lumps today. What, I, what I'll ask you, because maybe this is different from the, the cover two base defense that we saw, like you mentioned, for a long time here with Lovey Smith, but it was a lot of free releases on quick slants and things of that nature. And I, I know if guys don't trust their jam, you mess around and get beat deep. Brandon Cook's out there, Chris Moore out there, the boys can fly. But did you see something today that maybe the Bears are going to have to deal with or reckon with being put on tape for foreseeable future in terms of where they're playing uh, their corners, the leverages that they're playing their corners with, and also who needs to fall and sink into some of these holes that, that frankly, shouldn't be as open as they are? I think that a lot of it, Jay, is the talent deficiency. Like, Kendall Vildor can't be trusted. And so if, if you have a corner that can't be trusted, Cover two can work. You can hide them a little bit. You can have those 16-yard landmarks, and you can hide them. Not having Jalen Johnson out there makes things difficult. Like He's clearly becoming one of the better corners in the NFL. And I think that eventually, Kyler Gordon isn't going to be outside. He's going to spend the majority of his time as the nickel. Like They love his athleticism there. And I think that he's done okay. Like He's not... He hasn't been great, but I'm, I mean, I'm going to give him some grace. Like, this is a kid that's taking a jump up and clearly is getting targeted the bejesus out oh, of yeah. him. Oh, you yeah. know, because in the first two games, you had the, the weird game, and then you had Aaron Rodgers being like, well, I'm not going to take a chance with Jalen Johnson. I'll just watch this kid. <laughs> you know, like, and, and he's going he's gonna to grow from that. I love Brisker. Like, I, I jumped. I jumped out. I don't ordinarily jump out when it comes to player evaluations. I'm fairly conservative in that regard. 
I see a bigger version of Bob Sanders. And I, I think that that guy has got all of the tools to be an excellent, strong safety. And honestly, through three games, what I was hoping would happen has happened. He's because Eddie Jackson no longer has to worry about that. And Eddie's been better in run support. Like, I, I think that if, if we were talking to Alan Williams or Matt Eberflus, they would probably give him a positive grade in the way that he's come up and played the run. But now he can go back to playmaking. Like, take a risk. Take a chance in some of those. Be a ball hawk. Like, now because he doesn't have to worry, we're going to flip-flop in, in, in this formation. I'm going to be the strong. Like, no one wants Eddie Jackson playing strong safety. Right. Damn sure Eddie don't want to be playing strong <laughs> safety. He, and, and now, now he's got a guy that is willing to, to lay the lumber and come down there and run support and try to make plays. I have a lot of, uh, I, I think that the Bears back four when healthy could end up being a real pleasant surprise this season in the NFL. And now it's, you got to get that other cornerback spot fixed. And it, it, I, I think that you got to spend some money. I don't, I don't think that you, you, you just draft and, and keep hoping. I think you spend a little money on a proven commodity. And considering this defense, like, for example, towards the end, I mean, when the Bears were still playing cover two, here comes Tim Jennings. And, yeah, and Tim true. Jennings ends up going Made to plays. a pro ball, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like that. So you can find pros that know how to play the opposite corner. And I think that's kind of where, where they, they could flourish. Uh, shout out to him. Shout out. Oh, man, you took it back with Tim Jennings. Hinergen 26. <laughs> shout out to him. <laughs> oh, my Lord. All right, speaking of shout outs, man, enough, enough of this Bears situation. I want you to take me to the massive verse, okay? Because okay. I, uh, you know, I, I thought I was uh, a comic book guy. I thought I was a Marvel and DC guy when I was a kid. And then I got introduced to a whole new breed of human like you and your rest of your cohorts who, who take the graphic novel to another level. Now, you're not even just taking it to another level. You are actually a part of the production of these things now. Radiant Black, which, by the way, is not Lawrence Holmes's nickname here in the city, but it is it is uh, put together by Kyle Higgins, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. And Image Comics. He's a, and he's a big fan of yours, too, Jay. Oh, shout out to Kyle. Shit, I'm a big fan of his now. Yeah, you know? man. I'll, I'll, I'll share a little fun thing. Like, like Kyle's from Lockport, right? Okay. He's a big score listener. Okay. So that's, that's how we got connected because he loved the bears and, and I was covering the bears and he worked with Lance on his book, the trap. Kyle has done everything. Like he's a director. He, he's written Nightwing and Batman. Oh, okay. Like he's, he's a real dude. He's in there. He's in there. Yeah. He's official. But he loves to like talk about the bears and, it's funny, like I'm reading like there's a radiant black, like the the trade from the first 10 issues on uh, the first page. It takes place in this bar in Lockport, which is a real place. It's a real place. And we did a signing there a few weeks ago. And in he he said, do you notice anything about one of the panels? And I was like, what are you talking about? And I look up. He's like, look on the TV. So there's a TV in the background where the two main characters are talking. And I was like, did you put Patrick Mahomes on the Bears? 
He was like, yep. He was like, that's the beauty of comic books. You get to write wrongs. <laughs> it's literally like a guy in a Bears uniform wearing number 15. He's got the, the hair on yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I wanted to make sure and go back and we fixed that. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're, you're working with, with one of the top guys in the business. Uh, Image Comics. So, like, if we were doing, like, a, a ranking, it would be, you know, Marvel, DC, Image. Mm-hmm. And, and they've given him a ton of freedom because this... What he's creating, man, Jay, I was blown away. Like, I... He's got so many crazy ideas. And then he said to me about a year ago, do you want to help me write a character in Radiant Black? And I said, yeah, like, I'm all ears. Like, I'm all for it. And then I realized that he wasn't just asking, like, for suggestions. No, he wanted you to do it. Yeah, he wanted (laughs) wanted me to put some real sweat equity into it. And that's one of the things I love about what's going on inside of the massive verse. Like he's, he understands that he doesn't have, um, he wants to make sure that his characters that aren't white men from Lockport have agency and their stories are being told by people who can more, who have, who might have a better sense of what that person, what that character could be going through. Yeah. Relatability. Right. right. And when and when he said that he wanted me to write the backstory, help him write the backstory for Wendell George, uh, which I got to name and it's dope because, you know, that's my middle name. That's my dad's middle name. I and, know. I know. and George is my uncle and my grandfather's name. Okay. So being able to to put that on paper was really, really amazing. So Ra- Radiant Black number 18 is out in stores right now, man. It's Jay. It's wild, man. I get like. I got I got all my copies and stuff. Nice. There's another variant issue that we're doing that's so exciting that I I can't believe that we did this. Like I I, I know that this that's is beautiful, what, man. I know, right? And and the artist uh, Stefano Simeone, I gave him some some ideas because Wendell has a family, and I told him the story takes place in four different time periods, and that's how you read it. Like, okay. literally, when you open it up, it's 1984, 2002, 2020, 2038. And on every page, you're telling the story of what's happening inside of those four time periods. And, and so I said to him, I said, well, all right, so we're going to be in the 80s, right? Like, our guy's an engineer. It's the 80s. It's like, I kind of want him to have some Dwayne Wayne vibes. There you go. And so I, I sent Stefano like pictures of, of different world. He was like, what do you think of this? And da, 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 da. Wendell has a daughter. It's 2002. And I said, well, if it's 2002, oh, by the way, the story takes place in Gary. Like, that's oh. another part of it. Oh, shout out to he side Gary. Freddie right? Gibbs would love that. <laughs> so, so, so Radiant Black, the whole book takes place basically Lockport, Chicago, East Chicago, Gary. Okay. Is where the book takes place. Um, so anyone that's that's full go and is local, like this is a book that you'll be able to relate. We put landmarks in, you know, there, there's an uh, apocalyptic part in 2038 where he's trying to find the fastest way home and he's walking the skyway and you can see like a destroyed Chicago in the background, like stuff like that. It was it was that level of freedom that we got to kind of put the story together. That uh that 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 made me really excited about. It. But anyway, like the Wendell's daughter, since it's two thousand and two, 
I said she would 100% be influenced by Aaliyah. Okay. So, right. so, so, so we're there, there are ways to like give her the Aaliyah vibe, like as, as the comic book goes on. But man, I, when Kyle told me that this is what we wanted to do, because we had had like a different idea about it. And he said, no, 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 I got it. It's like, I got it. It's like four different time zones, every page all the way through, left to right, up and down. And I'm like, there's no way we're going to pull this shit off. None. And then when we started putting the storyboards together, I was like, I see it. And then when I got the first digital copy, I was, I was blown away, man. This book is really good. And I, you know how sometimes like, you work on something and you think it's the shit, and then you're like, people won't get it. Right. And then we threw it out to the universe and the universe came back and they were like, no, nah, we got it. It's, it's dope. And we're already nominated for an Eisner Award nice. for this series, nice. which is like what and Kyle laughed. He's like, man, your first book and you're already nominated for an Eisner. He's like, people work in this industry for years and, and don't get that. But being able to, to step in and do this has been one of, one of the most the most important things that I've done as a creative and it's opened up my mind to do like a lot of other stuff. Dude. Hey, when you, when you hit me to it and when I first got wind of it, um, uh, again, you already know how happy I am for you and incredibly proud, uh, I am to know you, uh, and not just that, but the Chicago Sun Times column, you know, you get, you, you, you deserve a, a huge big up on that. And I hit you, I told you, man, Hey, People die with plans all the time. So do anything and everything that not only your network, but your talent and resources afford you to do. And I see you doing those things. I'm really, really, really enthused about the Radiant Black situation. Uh, issue number 18 for everybody out there who want to check out Wendell George and get introduced to a new character in the massive verse. I'm going to shoot this over to Van Lathan and them as well so they can jump on and, and get with the program. Oh, thank too. you. I think yeah. I think that Van would love it, especially considering and the, we're starting to see, you know, more black voices show up as creatives in this space. And it's it's not always a space where we see black art flourish. But I, I mean, it's so weird. I went to high school. I was classmates with Nettie Okorafor, who is one of the foremost authors in Afrofuturism. So in reading a lot of her stuff, like I'm like, OK, like I can kind of get with this vibe that she's throwing out there and and seeing seeing people really want to hear stories told from different perspectives the comic book world for a long time felt like a place where women the lgbtq community black people the brown people kind of felt outside and over the last i would say decade but especially the last 5 years there's been tremendous growth in that regard. I think that that Miss Marvel that was on Disney Plus, I think that show's super important. And I know I feel like like I was talking to Shayna about this too. I feel like anyone whose parents came from someplace else can understand it it, it doesn't have to be like they don't she doesn't have to be Belizean. You know right, what I'm right, saying? Right, right. <laughs> like you, you can understand exactly what her story is, right. even though her her family is Pakistani. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, and now those stories are being told. Like Black Panther, the movie, to me, opened up a lot of people's eyes, and I think opened up 
corporate America's eyes, like, oh, 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 how fruitful adventure like this that? is. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. How brand loyal all these people are as well. Right, <laughs> right. So, so now be, being given a chance to do this, like, this is one of those things that I wanted to like check off. And, and now to do that and, and see it succeed the way that it's succeeding is really satisfying. And now it's, I've got, I've told Kyle, I was like, I'm not going to stop bothering you. I now have you know, three different ideas that you I want. You already know, you got the bug. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and I was joking on Twitter, although I'm only kind of half joking about the, the, the Clubber Lang thing. Like, I, I, I know you on it. I think I could write the Clubber Lang prequel. And I really want to. And because I'm friends with Erica Nicole Clark, Mr. T's daughter, we've mm-hmm. had the discussion before. And I, that movie, man, can you imagine, Jay? Like 1970s Chicago, Dunbar High School. Like, the, can you imagine? Yes. Oh. I, I already got the costume design for you as well. You know, shout See? out to my girl. Shout out to my girl, Marcy Rogers, who went to Evanston with me, you know, who who's done a, a whole shitload of movies, like, and, and some great stuff as well. Like, you, we can keep it all in the family, man. Make it, make it happen. As long as yeah. I'm like the key grip on one of these sets where I can, you know, poke my head in or something like that. Just let's just let, find the spot for me. I got you. I got you. A spot on it. I feel like you should be like our. You should be like our Kevin Frazier. When we get all this stuff done, oh, man. we, we have we have you like interview everyone and and take them around the set and all this stuff, and then we package it up real nice. And then they go, "Hey, let's make some money and give people." More. <laughs> hey, I'm down. Whatever the massive plan is, it's funny that you mentioned Kevin Frazier. I was actually talking to somebody about the uh, the career arc coming up here and. That name came up. See how things happen when you and I get together? Uh, yeah, man. How about man. that? Hey. Choice. <laughs> <laughs> it needs to happen more often, my man. I thank you for jumping on with me and giving me some of your time. Uh, Radiant Black is beautiful. The The art is beautiful. The story is beautiful. Issue number 18 is what you should be looking for, as well as all the other issues. But issue number 18 is the one that we are pushing right here on the Full Go Podcast. Lawrence Holmes, Chicago Sun-Times columnist, 670 The Score, midday host of the Burnsy and Holmes show, uh, adjunct professor, uh, you know, middle-of-the-order hitter for a championship-led softball squad. By the time you are hearing this, and yes, I am hedging all bets oh. and making sure that you understand what it really is. And... Just all around decent dude, man. I, I appreciate you for jumping on with me. Uh, continued success. And, um, you know, I'll see you tomorrow because we got media day. So I'll see you tomorrow at the studio with you and Layla. I will have your copy of Radiant Black ready to roll, man. Thank you so much. My man, you got you to gotta autograph it too because it's, it's going yeah. straight to Jace. So That's you got to cool. autograph that. Yeah, yeah. My man. Yeah, let's, Lawrence, let's have him have it and it, it be, hopefully it, it means something. Like It, it will. It will. Trust me. That. Trust me. Trust me. It's always going to mean something coming from Uncle Lawrence. Hey, brother, I appreciate you, man. And uh, I will talk to you soon. I, I appreciate your time, bro. Thank you, Jay. Thank you so much for letting me come and hang out on what what the best podcast in the city. Uh-oh, Everyone uh-oh. needs to Look be on the now. full go. You know it. Look out now. My man, Lawrence Holmes, right here on the full go podcast. All right, you saw it, I saw it. The offensive line, how did they fare? Not so good in pass pro, really good in run blocking. We'll talk to the OG, longtime Chicago Bears center, and the only center that I recognize these days. He is Owen Cruz, coming up next right here on the Full Go Podcast.
Hey, this is Lance Briggs. You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff. So I know as a former offensive lineman, when you see 40 runs for 281 yards, guys were moving people today. And you did that with the majority of with a backup running back. David Montgomery goes down after three carries. Khalil Herbert, Tristan Ebner, and a couple of exotic run plays kind of take over the game for you. But for that offensive line, in the meetings this week, in the film sessions, what are some of the things that you saw positively and negatively that will be highlighted during the tape sessions? Well, it's two weeks in a row, right, that they have run block against a loaded front. So so impressive. They've done an impressive job out there and also recognizing run blitzes, recognizing um, run stunts, picking them up, working together. Uh, they've done a really nice job run blocking, man. It seemed like if they wanted to today, they could have run all day in the Houston, Texas. And that first run, uh, Khalil Herbert comes out of half, runs for 52 yards. Mm-hmm. They recognize one of Lovey's, you know, favorite blitzes, uh, Mike Sam coming off the edge of smash blitz, they call it, the cover three. But they recognize it, pick it up, and it's a gaping hole. And if you give Khalil Herbert any room, he's going to make that first guy miss. And, and that's the kind of running backs who are dangerous. So uh, as far as run blocking goes, they're doing a good job. Now, they struggle in pass protection. I think everyone's noticing that. And I think it starts with Braxton Jones on the left side. He struggles a little bit one-on-one. I don't know um, actually what their plan is going to be moving forward because eventually if I can't ever – you know, you don't ever leave a rookie one-on-one, but if I can't ever leave you one-on-one, uh, it's a problem, man. So uh, he, he is – I thought he was a year or two away from actually being a starter. They disagreed, so they scarred him. Uh, and then if, if with the problems they have there, if Borum struggles at all like he did today, uh, struggled with the bull rush, which surprised me. Usually he's a pretty efficient pass blocker. Uh, if he struggles at all, uh, they're in trouble. You can't struggle and pass for with both your tackles and expect to execute. And then the fact that Justin Fields is just not seeing the field right now. He's just not seeing it all. So when they do get good pass protection, they don't get anything out of it. And uh, I've been, I said last week on a no-name pod that, look, uh, I heard Peyton Manning say, you never go broke taking a profit. Yes, sir. And it just seems like he doesn't take the profit right now. I don't know why. It's like everything's got to be a shot. Uh, those two interceptions were really bad today. He said it after the game, though. I saw he said, I'm playing terrible. And credit to him. Credit to him for standing up and saying, look, man, I need to play better. Now, Getsy needs to simplify the offense a little bit, I think. I don't know if you you yeah. would agree with that pass yeah. pro-wise. And I need to ask – I need to sit down and say, uh, uh, Jay, I got to ask him, like, what do you want to run? I mean, what what are you comfortable with? I have to get him going in the right direction. I have to get him comfortable. I have to get him seeing the field. I think those uh, package plays they run where they walk to the line, he has to recognize fronts and put them in the right read. I think it's a little tough for him right now. So let's get back to what the offensive line did, and then we can talk about the Justin Fields stuff. But you mentioned the the perimeter blocking issues one-on-one. And having a tight end in there to help or having a back in there to help, obviously, it hinders your offense because now there are only a certain amount of routes that you can run after you chip a guy or after you stay in for a little bit of a ghost block. What is a defense gearing up for? Because I saw it in the first game where the 49ers were like, hey, 10 yards and then anything happens, we're going to tackle you and get off this field. And it seems like teams are, hey, if you hit us with a shot play, cool. But we are, we are 12 yards and up. You get you get anything in front of us, we're gonna tackle and bring you down. How can you how can you get what you want out of your offense when you have to keep guys in? Or the 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 flip side of that is I saw a lot of three by ones, you know, empty set, one back. 
I mean, guys are teeing off back there. How do, how do you mix it up enough to make sure that you're grounded and you can block what you need to block, but also run your offense, right? Like, how, how, do, you, how do you mitigate that situation? Yeah, the, the cornerbacks are, st- are standing flat-footed, right? And the only way to mitigate it is we, you got to get someone like Delish Jones back, right? And I know Pringle went out early. Montgomery went out early. So who can we get the ball in the hands quickly and still be dynamic? Thing like Debo Samuel on those wide receiver screens. That's the only thing you can really do. But look, you can only get away with that so long. And that's why you're seeing guys like Tyreek Hill make 50 million a year play wide receiver because there's such a difference maker right now in the NFL, someone who you can just go to. If, if, look, if you're going to play this coverage on us, we're just going over the top. It, it, easy. He, he's going to win, and we had no problem. We don't have anybody like that right now on a Chicago Bears offense. And I was, as I was watching that game today, I thought to myself, man, who on the field wants Montgomery in the tent? Who on the field on both sides of the ball were top 10 to 12 in their position in the NFL? And I really couldn't find anybody. So you're watching a game, and then you're saying, well, and like you know, Jay, I played on most offenses like this. Mm-hmm. So you look up and it looks like goal line. And that's why I really credit uh, the Bears <laughs> offensive line, the tight ends, for getting after him and running the ball anyway. Because like you said, the, the safeties and the cornerbacks are playing flat-footed reads. They're just staring at the quarterback. Like we know the ball's coming out. We know no one can beat us over the top. So what do you do? I don't know. You struggle. You keep struggling because you just don't have that guy we can go to and he can be dynamic. I know Vilas. Jones is on the side. I know Pringle got hurt. Uh, we're waiting for Mooney to come alive this year. He hasn't. Uh, Cole Komet, uh, nice catch today over the middle. I think that's for 16 yards. He played well. They're trying to boot, but it looks like everyone knows it's coming right now. So um, I don't really know, to be honest with you, what they can do with the state their offense is in right now. You mentioned the Justin Fields portion, and it's safe to say that no matter how big a fan of Justin Fields anybody is, this isn't acceptable quarterback play. The, that game today looked like, and I mentioned in the first segment, if you just showed me this tape and said this is the first time this NFL quarterback has started, I'd have been like, okay. But this is the 13th start, 14th start in his NFL career, and we're seeing a little bit of regression. When we hear footwork and when we hear ball padding and all the other things that people bring up, 75% of the time, I think that people don't know what the fuck they're talking about and I and I and I lean on the people who have done it before what are you seeing not knowing the plays and not having the all 22 right there while you're watching the game but what are you seeing that you're like okay these are the common mistakes that he is making before the play devolves into a a crumbling pocket or before he has to move out like what what in his posture what in his delivery, what in his processing mechanism are you seeing that maybe needs to get sped up, refined, or just playing out, thrown out, and taken back to the drawing board? Yeah, I'll leave the like footwork, like you're saying, the footwork and the arm mechanics for like quarterback Googles, right? But I always wonder when someone goes through changing all his fundamentals that he's been using for a long time, he tried to change a lot of things this offseason. When the bullets really start flying, it's hard to do that uh, naturally. It's hard to just have muscle memory. You're going to go back. But now, to me, it looks like he's playing a little bit like a robot, right? So I think he has to find, Jay, he has to find the in-between between what he learned this year in the offseason and what they try to change and what he's comfortable doing. And he has to develop his game. And we've all, when you played in the NFL, we've all gone through times like this where we were not getting it done. But this is the time. The guys who come out of this, are the guys who become players. The guys who study themselves, try to change and find that in-between ground, the, the ground where you're not 
look, you didn't totally change everything, but you did change a couple things so you can play. But like you're saying, when you watch him, his footwork is not clean in the pocket. He looks robotic. It looks like he's thinking, okay, I'm going to throw the ball here, but how am I going to throw this ball? And should my feet be here? And then I'll, now I won't throw it there anymore. And shit, I'll just take off and run. Right. Right. Cause that, that, because I know how athletic I am. So like, like you're saying, when you're watching it, and I'll leave it to the quarterback gurus to break it all down. But when you're watching it, it just, whatever he's doing, it does not look natural right now. It looks like he has to think his way through not only a new offense, not only the adjustments, not only putting his team into plays, but now, look, someone's changed all my mechanics. So guess what I've become? A robot. And if I can't just play fast, I got no chance in the NFL. Yeah, he's out there uh, counting steps instead of dancing, yes. right? And, and that's when you get in trouble. The, the offensive guard rotation, I don't know figure it out and roll with the five. You you forecasted the five in the preseason. That's what they came out with. Um, a lot of people are down on Sam Mustafer, and I'm like, hey, man, there's a lot of people who get ragdolled by Kenny Clark. That's why he's one of the best players in the game. But how do you feel the interior of that offensive line is playing with so much being put on, you know, emphasis-wise in a second-year player and a rookie on the perimeter? Mm-hmm. Well, I just... The rotation, I don't like, obviously, I, I, I'm up, get your best five out there. I think that that is just Ryan Pose, uh, you know, Patrick is his guy. He's going to get him on the field. He's got to go out there and play. So um, the interior three, again, same thing. Run blocking has been, been good. You know, pass blocking, they can improve. I remember uh, the first, you talk about Kenny Clark, where Sam got beat. He's got to get his left leg on the ground. I told him that. You, get, you play against Kenny Clark, uh, first of all, Kenny does that to a lot of people, but that's not an excuse. You get out there, you block him, man. You get out there, you throw your hands, stick your feet in the ground, you fight his ass. So, uh, but 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 there's no shame in losing to him like that. Uh, first, the first pass of the year, Cody Whitehair got beat by Kinlaw for San Francisco 49ers, right? Uh, Patrick and Tevin Jenkins have been struggling over there at right guard, honestly, in pass pro. So as good as Tevin has been in run blocking, his feet, you know, he's trying to figure out where he is in space at right guard. So Eventually, I hope they do settle on five guys on, on that offensive line. I don't think the interior three, no matter who's out there, is their biggest problem on offense right now. Um, always interesting to me, uh, the Chicago fan, fan base, who they pick to complain about, right? Because uh, the, the guy is a, a free agent from Notre Dame who's making league minimum. He's the problem with our offense. <laughs> That's always, I, I like messing with everybody on Twitter about that. It, it, it's hilarious. Follow the me, money. But, um, yeah, I, I just, it, you know, I, I just like to throw a, a Sam Musper tweet out there. I People know, just lose I know. their mind. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's, 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 to be honest with you, it's a little fun for me. So I, I do it every once in a while. It's like the most responses I get out of anybody. Right. And they're really passionate oh, yeah. about it. Oh, so, yeah. and, and most of them, uh, it's most of them don't have no idea about blocking. None or anything that's going on in the offensive line. So, uh, but as far as this offense goes, and this is all of them, this is Sam included, who I know very well, like everybody knows, they have to raise their level of their game, man. Someone is, has to become a pro bowler. Someone has to become top 10 in their position in the NFL, whether it be Cole Clement. Montgomery probably is, but he wasn't out there today, right? But there has to be somebody else, man. Darnell Mooney, uh, Pringle, Vilas Jones, Justin Fields, Braxton Jones, Cody White somebody has to ascend or you're just going to keep struggling because you have to have those guys. And eventually in the NFL, I don't care what your scheme is. At the end of the day, it's the players, man. I always told Lovey. You saw Lovey today. He's running the same defense he was running with yeah. all those guys. Yep. That defense got run through, right? You weren't running cover two 
when Lovey was here, you were running cover Erlach, right? Erlach was standing on your nose <laughs> on the, uh, and played a middle of the field. But when it meshes with a great coach and great players, you get what we had here for so long. But the Chicago Bears offense, I don't care who you bring in. Uh, Getsy looks like he's getting out coached sometimes, but he is a young offensive coordinator. I don't care who you bring in. I don't care what you do. If they don't develop these players to become the best in the league or one of the best in the league, it's going to look like we've been seen now for three years at Soldier Field. All right. Tell the people where they can hear you. No Name Podcast. What else, my man? No, that's it. I, I'm on the No Name Football Podcast. We're throwing mm. off everything else. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you can uh, catch uh, him uh, walking James, his dogs in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> James Big Cat Williams has joined, uh, joined me and Jason McKee. Uh, he trains at my gym every morning. So I said, man, you're here. Why don't we get you a microphone and just jump on uh, jump on with us? So we enjoy it. We enjoy breaking down the game and uh, talk, talking trash. Really, we're just hanging out in the locker room again. There it is, the No Name Podcast. Shout out to Big Cat. Tell him I said what's up when yeah, you get a chance I to, will, man. man. Olin, I appreciate you, man. I will catch up with you in the future. Always, always a pleasure to hear your voice, OG. Appreciate you guys having me on. Have a great night. My man, Olin Cruz, right here on the Full Go Podcast. It's the Full Go there really isn't much to do after that one. So nope. that was uh <laughs> that was not a ring endorsement for NFL football right there. Boy, that shit was terrible. <laughs> hey, the Denver Broncos have how many more years on that deal? Obviously you can rip it up or whatever, but how long was that deal for Russell Wilson? Like five years, I think it was. Let's see. Five-year contract worth two hundred forty-five million, Ooh, with one sixty-five guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> Talk about catching a brick. That motherfucker might be done. One twenty-four, right? For just for signing his name. That motherfucker might be done, done, boy. <laughs> that, that shit. He was missing wide open, motherfuckers. He, he was like potpourri. Wide open people, covered people, swing passes, check downs, <laughs> short stuff over the middle, deep stuff that had no chance. That motherfucker threw a, a no-hitter at a football game. <laughs> he was horrible dog and then for the and to have the nerve to have that much fucking confidence in the post game show nigga did you not just see that you just scored 11 points on national t- like duh. he didn't uh, even it was the, uh, the safety that caused the night it was the right. two points so it's like God, what really did you do horrible that <laughs> shit was horrible oh. I, I mean that whole San Francisco thing, that's another, <laughs> that's another. Oh. Dude, Eric Bieniemy could be doing all this shit that they doing out here. <laughs> you know, the whole time I was sitting there like, while, while the Italian stallion was talking about Paul Hackett and Mike Shanahan being in the crowd and fucking Ed Hockley's son doing the fucking game as a rep. I'm like, hey, when, when do y'all think we're going to get to the second generation of black head coaches? <laughs> When is that going to happen? <laughs> like in 2072? Like, like when do you think we're going to get a chance to see a black head coach's son get hired? Think about that. You can't even get, you can't even get motherfucking, like, it's been what, Art Shell, Herm Edwards, Lovey's, it's been like 12 of these motherfuckers. You got two dudes just out here just on national TV not scoring no fucking points. <laughs> 
<laughs> Nathaniel Hackett, get the fuck out of here. You know, apparently, because we might have caught a brick in Luke Getze, too. Apparently, all you had to do was be around Aaron Rodgers and Sean McVay in the last 10 years, and you're going to get yourself a job. Like, geez. Yeah, you know what I thought? I was like, fam, I think we got a... Uh... Who's the who's the coach of the Dolphins and the Jets? Oh, the man's uh, with Mike, the eyes. Mike McDaniel and oh, Robert no, Sala. The oh, Adam, uh, Adam, Adam Gase. Gase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we got Adam Gase. That's all we got. <laughs> man, god damn that shit right there. I'm sitting there because nobody loves a defensive tussle like your boy. Nobody, right? I'm the one who liked that godforsaken Alabama-LSU National Championship game. I went, I was like, no, no, but it was decent. 10-9 to 9 is okay for a championship game. Lying to my goddamn self. That shit right there was terrible. If Pia hadn't screamed, Jason, you got to go record, I would still be asleep. That shit, I'm sitting there watching that shit like, what the fuck? I fell asleep on that garbage-ass game. And it had, like, I mean, two really good jerseys, big-ass TV, room is dark, all the makings of sucking you in and being scintillating, right? That shit, what? We got here fucking... Crowning glory is a two-minute drive. It was 11 to 10. (laughs) What? You got the best athletes in the world on that field. And you had two quarterbacks out there fucking playing fucking patty cake. That shit was terrible. Ugh. I don't feel so bad after that Bears game now. Shit, if that's what Super Bowl and fucking quarterbacks are looking like these days. That what? And then at the end, let's ride, Bronco. What? Shut up. Take your ass in the motherfucking locker room. Go in the locker room before this whole team start to hate your ass like the last one did. <laughs> oh, my God. The full goal with Jason Goff. That's all the time we have for episode 155 of the Full Goal Podcast. want to thank our outstanding guests, as always, Lawrence Holmes, from every single one of the jobs that he has that he does so well. And my man from the No Name Podcast, Olin Cruz, former Chicago Bears center. I always love talking to those cats. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on another episode of whatever the hell this is on the full go. Want to thank our production staff, uh, the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerruti, the active Jesse Lopez. He is back in full effect. And of course, my main man, Tony Gill. For the fellas, I'm thanking you guys out there for downloading this thing, for subscribing to this thing, for rating and reviewing it, for sharing it with your family and friends. All the things that you do for the pod, we are so very thankful that you continue to do so. Check us out on Tuesday when we uh, go over Bulls Media Day and, of course, pour over whatever we just saw in Bears, Texans, as we start to sling the Justin Fields slander all over the city, I'm sure. So check us out on Tuesday. And, of course, the full go voicemail line is always open, 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. As always, we leave you with this. Take care of each other and be safe.